What's going on, everybody? It's that time again, the All Sooners Podcast, episode 185 on this rainy Wednesday, April 26th, 2023. Josh Callen, Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and Moore, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, are we staying dry? No, we're getting rained <laughs> out. Softball's getting rained out. My my deck construction's Thanks. getting rained out. I am tired of three, what, three straight days of rain and three more ahead. Uh, should I start building an arc? Maybe, maybe. That would be good. Um, Scout the dog has enjoyed the rain. She is a water dog, which means that Ryan, the dog owner, has not enjoyed trying to have copious amounts of towels around the place to be like, nope, nope, nope. You got to be all dry before you can step back into this here apartment. Yeah, my my pup Rory hates the rain. Like she won't. You have to drag her out to use the bathroom when it's raining like this. It stinks because this week is like, you know, spring football is over. And I think for a lot of people, obviously, there's diehards that watch all season. But for a lot of people, this is kind of that chance to get reintroduced to baseball and softball, and they can't get on the field. Just keeps it keeps getting washed out. So uh, hopefully, this weekend looks a little better. Hopefully, the rain stops eventually at some point. Um, and we'll uh, get those teams back out on the field. But, uh, yeah, rainy times in Oklahoma right now. So here we are, a few days removed from the spring game. If you didn't see our spring game post-game show, I recommend you go check that out. It was a good show, I think. It, we recorded it Saturday night after the game at the stadium in person. It's on all the usual spots, who's YouTube, and, uh, of course, the anywhere you get your podcast as well. But we will wrap up the spring game a little bit more uh, now that we've had a few more days to digest it, kind of let it wash over us, watch some things back, things like that. Any uh, cleanup things with the spring game that you guys wanted to touch on here after uh, having a few days to kind of look back at it, let it wash over you a little more, not as fresh, things like that? You know, um, I think it'd be easy to when you see a scrimmage, it would be easy to say, oh, the defense needs to do this. Why is the offense doing that? You know, they're going against each other. Um, so you see success in the throwing game, you get concerned about the DBs, right? Naturally. we. It, I think it would be easy to get excited about the defense. I think it would be, and I've heard that. Uh, I was at Lowe's a couple of days ago picking up some lumber, and the guy was like, yeah, man, our defense, man. I think our defense. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, tap the brakes, Lowe's employee. Uh, not that I think you're wrong, but you're going up your defense, which has improved. I'm not knocking the defense. I think the defense is going to be better. Can't be worse. Uh, they're going up against in a scrimmage situation, an offensive line that was just gutted by injuries. You can't operate an offense without an offensive line, right? That's the number one thing. So it's hard to get, you know, I, we see improvement, but it's hard to apply that improvement to a spring scrimmage where there was, the, uh, you know, a skeleton crew offensive line at times. And then project that into the fall. I think the defense is going to be better. I think the wide receivers are still looking for guys, as we saw through the transfer portal. They're still looking for guys. Uh, the tight ends are still looking for guys, as we saw through the transfer portal. So, um, on the whole, there's there, you know, in a, at a position like tight end where Braden Willis was so good last year, and Daniel Parker was such a, a key piece in certain packages. Uh, you've got to start over and right now you've got injuries. And so there's just going to be, there's a lot of question marks going forward. Um, the running backs looked pretty solid. I thought the DBs were very good for the most part. I thought the linebackers were probably the best overall position group on the field. Yeah. In, in our post game, we had talked about the wide receivers, not feeling like there was anyone that really emerged going back and watching it again. I feel like LV Bunkley Shelton kind of got a raw deal. He ran two great routes and Dylan Gabriel overthrew him both times. So that's bad on Gabriel, but Bunkley Shelton should have had it. The opening touchdown in the first quarter should have had a big catch and run. Um, going back the other way in the second quarter and Gabriel couldn't hit him on either of those. So that's directly on the quarterback. And that's that bit of Dylan Gabriel where he has five good throws and one bad one that we saw. And then for me, watching it back, the second unit offensive line was the skeleton crew that I think you can take nothing of. Yep. McCade Matower is still going to be a weakness of this group. Andrew Rame is still not there as far as strength goes at the center spot. So he's got a summer to do that. But we've been having the same conversation about Andrew Rame, and we had the same conversation about what was the weakness of the OU line last year? Guard, center, guard. 
This year, you have a really young Savion Bird. Really hard to tell anything about his improvement from Florida State through a spring game. But the heart of that offensive line is going to be an issue again. I, I just don't see it from Rame or Matower as far as any improvement goes. Because that was a group that, outside of Caden Green at left tackle, that was the ones. And so I am way more critical of that group than the second unit. And I, I think OU is going to have problems on the interior offensively again this year. So uh, that hurt them in third and shorts and fourth and shorts last year. That means that's going to be either on – Barnes or Sawchuck to be difference makers as far as racking up uh, yards after contact, or you're putting more pressure again on Dylan Gabriel to make big plays. So we'll see. I know that Dylan Gabriel said situational football was a huge focus for him specifically in the offense all offseason long. I think it's still going to be something they have to really succeed in because I've got no faith in kind of the interior of that offensive line outside of what maybe Savion Bird can be because he's just an unknown. We've got one game in a spring game of, of experience uh, watching Bird play. Yeah, the question marks to me are, are much more on the offense, which is uh, hasn't been the case for Oklahoma in a while. We talked about it after the game. Defensively, it feels like the depth is a lot better. Some of the guys that they've added, like instant impact guys. And then some of these fresh, I mean, you know, PJ and, and Peyton Bowen, I mean, who knows how they fit in. They both look pretty good on Saturday. Um, but offensively, there's question marks everywhere honestly. Um, and not because of Jeff Levy. I continue to be dumbfounded by how many fans have a, uh, a negative approval rating of, of Jeff Levy after one year. I don't really understand that. Um, most of the problems last year, I mean, look, were there growing pains? Sure. I mean, it's his first time really running the show completely, but most of the issues were Dylan Gabriel just missing open guys or, you know, things like that. Like it, I, I never at any point thought that like the scheme or he was scheming guys open all over. Like I, I I'm surprised at how many people feel like he's not the answer when I'm, I'm pretty confident that Jeff Levy is a pretty darn good offensive football coach. And so I don't think he's the problem. I think it's more Dylan Gabriel is what he is. I mean, his passer rating, if you look at his seasons is like basically the same every year. Like he, he's a fine college quarterback, but he's not, he's not amazing. And Pass catchers is it's a question mark. Receiver, tight end. They had to add guys already in the portal because those are both question marks right now. Running back is a good spot, but offensive line depth looks to be an issue. I think offensively, there's a lot more question marks than than defensively right now, which hasn't been the case uh, in a while. So we'll see how that how that bears out whenever the season rolls around. But you know, it's a different spot for you to be in right now. And frankly, like if the defense takes a big enough step then last year's offense will probably be enough with Gabriel. will probably be enough to win three, four more games. But if the defense is kind of close to what it was, it might be more of the same. So we'll see uh, how that looks. But interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Spring game in the rear view. And we'll be, uh, I'm sure everybody will be dissecting that to death all summer long. That's all we have on a lot of these guys. So as we mentioned, they dipped into the transfer portal. We set it. Literally, we're at the spring game on Saturday night. We're doing the post-game show, and we talked about receiver room probably needs another one, and we said they're probably going to get Brandon Thompson from Texas, and they did. Uh, so Brandon Thompson comes over on Monday night from the University of Texas. Oklahoma has added a Cowboy and a Longhorn in the same cycle. Kind of insane. Um, so they bring Brandon Thompson in. Not a lot on him at Texas. He had one catch for 32 yards last year at Texas as a true freshman. So as far as what he did last year in his one year right out of high school, not a whole lot. So he's pretty raw. He's basically kind of like a recruit, essentially. Blazing fast, what do we make of the ad? And I think the bigger question that you fans are probably, I'm sure, wondering, is he a 2023 guy? Can he actually work into the fold and be a guy now for Oklahoma? He he has to be. He absolutely has to be. He's got to, he's got to be a guy that changes what this this uh, this offense, this wide receiver core looks like. And by changes, I mean add unnatural speed, okay? World-class Olympic-type speed, Tyreek Hill-type speed, even though there's some numbers out there that would suggest he may be in some measures faster than Tyreek Hill. Uh, you guys saw my tweet. It's, uh, it's yeah. got like a 1,000 likes, and people are going crazy over it. It's just a couple of numbers, which, by the way, when you start throwing out track times, I didn't know this. There's a cottage industry around track times who will come out and either complain about what you're saying or defend what you're saying when you start talking about a kid's high school track times. Did not know that until we got to talk uh, about Brendan Thompson's track times. Um, Gavin Sawchuck, for instance, absolute flyer on this offense running back. 
his fastest hundred yard time, hundred meter time, sorry, in uh, in high school was as a sophomore because COVID came along and wrecked his his next couple of years. But he ran a ten six two. Ten six two is flying for for football. Okay, it's not exceptionally fast for foot for track, but it's fast for football. Um, a guy like uh, Jaquez Petaway, this past couple of weeks ago, I think maybe last week, ran a ten four one in high school track. Ten four one. 10-4, if you hit 10-4, Switzer used to talk about guys that would hit 10-4, and that, that was kind of the mark for him. If you hit 10-4 in football, you are doing something special. Uh, Jaron Kanick, when he was, a, I think, a junior in high school, ran a 10-3-7. So we're talking some blazing fast times here. Guess what time uh, Guess what time Brandon Thompson ran, guys? 10.18. He's wow. closer to Olympic speed than he is – to anybody else on this football roster right now. So he, ha- okay. So there's, there's two things about that. Well, there's one big thing about this. Can that speed translate to football? Can he, is there a reason why he got one catch last year um, at Texas? Is it because Sark couldn't figure out how to get a guy that fast to football? Is it because his quarterback was inconsistent? Is it because, you know, he was a freshman and he was still learning how to, how to play college football? Maybe all of that, but, my guess is Jeff Levy's going to prioritize getting the football to somebody that's that fast. When you've got that kind of freakish speed, you've got to get them the ball. Yeah, it's a really exciting ad. I just, if Sark couldn't figure out how to get the ball in his hands, I, I'm curious as to if that was just the Texas receiver rotation or if that was young guy acclimating to college football, things like that. Maybe he's got a second year but it's a new playbook. You're coming in in the summer. Don't have the the leg up of spring, all that stuff. So it'll be really interesting. But what makes, and I know this gets thrown around a lot, and, and we saw it with this, is what made Tyree Kill special, what made a guy like Marquise Brown special, is they were able to use that speed not just by running by guys, but by catching a ball underneath and then using that speed in the open field. If that's something that Thompson could do, that's very exciting. If you're just looking for a burner to take the top off the defense and that's all he can do, fine. Um, Andrew Anthony and Jaquez Petaway were also also have that skill set ability, and I'm not locked in on Dylan Gabriel just throw, chucking deep bombs left, right, and center. We saw, again, Dylan Gabriel couldn't throw into the wind of the spring game for the second straight year. Just ask Peyton Bowen tracking down that dead duck that was flying around. Uh, what's going on there. So as far as like yeah. this season, I think it's going to be more of what can Thompson do in the open field to, to be a, a plus addition. And we just need to see that at Texas, whether that be uh, for a bunch of reasons. Cause again, it, it's hard to figure out why a true freshman doesn't hop on the field. A lot of stuff goes into that as far as getting acclimated to the college football and, and what kind of receiver rotation, what guy Sark wants to get the ball to. Remember, much like Oklahoma, Texas had a ton of touches going to Bijan Robinson out of the backfield, so that would take away from what you would probably have fringe wide receiver guys where maybe you could have made a bigger impact last year. Yeah, and his one catch last year that came against Oklahoma State was an underneath catch that he took, turned and took upfield. So uh. you'd like to think that that skill set is there. He did it one time. I, I just nine nine games he played in last year and only caught one pass. Like I think that's on the quarterback. I think that's on the scheme. I think that's on the head coach. Yeah. At some point, you force that ball in there and you start getting him the football in in space or a little touch pass or a jet sweep or something something. Yeah, I mean, so you know, it's what we heard all all spring camp was about Angel Anthony's speed. So I mean, on paper, I guess, or, or however you want to phrase that, it, it's a lot of exciting players on the outside or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't know how much of an instant impact guy he'll be. It's hard hard to tell. And I, I've you know made the point in a roundabout way a couple times in spring camp. But Jalil Farouk is Jalil Farouk. Drake Stoops is Drake Stoops. It just feels like between. All these other guys, and there's a lot of them. Anthony, Thompson, Gibson, Nick Anderson, Bunkley Shelton, J.J. Hester. Like, there's a laundry list of guys. Like, they just need one or two of them to just be, you know, serviceable. Like, just to be an option. And um, that should happen, but it might not. I don't know. Um, Well, there's a lot of unproven guys there. None of those guys have done it. 
before at the college level. None of them. So they can done, you know, to quote like Josh Pate, you know, just because you have it doesn't mean you can't, but we haven't seen it yet. So we'll see. Uh, going to be his interesting. 10, his 10 by the way, uh, there's some dispute as to whether that was wind aided. So uh, <laughs> he, I think he claims his official fastest was written down as 10.22. That's like four, two at the 40 guy at the uh, combine. Yeah, either way, that is unbelievably fast. Yeah, that's that's fun. You know, that's exciting. We need to get him, Anthony. Who else? Probably Gavin Sawchuck. Just have him race. Let's just see it. Let's have it. Let's do it before uh, in fall camp next year. Let's just have a race. Let's settle this. Pet away too. That's, that's the beautiful thing is he he played up in Spearman, Texas, right? He played way up in the Panhandle, class two A, class three A, I think. Uh. Um, Jaron Canick played in Kansas, like the high school football in Kansas is not that bad. But when you put the time down. You, you start them in one place and you finish them in another and you clock that and you write that time down, right? That's track. Track tells you who's fast and who's yeah. not fast. Uh, you can you can hide some of that speed or you can disguise some of the, some of your lack of speed by playing in a, in a crappy 2A or 3A conference division, whatever. When you run track, you measure off those hundred meters. There's it's it's actually it's it's legit actually tells you who's the fastest so that's the that's the thing about where these guys stand small schools small yeah. co- small high school football but blazing fast yeah no 100 meters is 100 meters everywhere so uh yeah we'll see how that uh how that bears out it's gonna be interesting wide receiver room is an interesting group really is uh maybe there's a lot of potential for one guy to just emerge there and be kind of the big surprise who that's going to be i don't know um elsewhere we talked about it just a minute ago. Tight ends, another spot that is really thin. Um, you have Austin Stogner and then a lot of just names. Um, but they did make another ad here to kind of cr- continue this trend of just a hodgepodge room. They had Hampton Fay or Hamp Fay, as he goes by on, on Twitter. What a name uh, from Michigan State. Uh, he's a tight end that entered the portal. He was actually a quarterback out of high school. Quarterback out of high school, three-star quarterback. Hurt his shoulder moved to safety, and then moved from safety to tight end, hit the portal this offseason, and now he's at Oklahoma. Who knows uh, here either. He joins a room that is, you know, got a basketball player from Cameron in it, and it's got Blake Smith, who's about to catch and pass with a club on his hand. It's uh, Austin Stogner, who left and came back. It's just like the weirdest group imaginable, basically, right now. Um but they need another guy, and they got him. So I, I don't know what he'll be, but they need another guy, and they added one. Yeah, Ham Faye's going to fit right into that room, isn't he? <laughs> I love an the eclectic. name, Ham Faye. That's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's an eclectic. Uh, it's an eclectic group for sure. Uh, Alito High School is where he started. He played quarterback. They moved him to wide receiver. He played wide receiver for his sophomore year and said, you know what, if I'm going to play in college, i got to play quarterback. Uh, so he wanted to play quarterback, so he transferred to All Saints Episcopal in Fort Worth. Uh, COVID wrecked one of his years, um, a shoulder injury wrecked another year. So he never really, you know, it was one of those deals where recruiting was shut down. He was kind of an under the radar kid. A lot of kids in that class in that 2020 year were under recruited or not noticed or fell through the cracks, whatever it was. So, uh, he's a guy that, you know, went to Michigan state. He had some good offers as a quarterback. He was a top 100 Texas high school player as a quarterback, uh, but he goes to Michigan State, and first year he plays quarterback, doesn't see the field, switches to tight end. Okay, he was an early enrollee, so he's been there for two years. Switches to tight end, doesn't see the field in 2022, and just decides that, uh, you know what, I can get closer to home. Uh, Oklahoma has uh, an immediate opening for tight ends, so uh, it's a good fit. Yeah. Uh, again, from Texas, from Alito, Texas, and Fort Worth. He's a guy that's going to be close to home, and he's playing a position that at OU is in a position of immediate need. So should be a pretty decent fit for him. Yeah, Josh, you said you're not sure exactly what to make of him. I, I've got the perfect role for him off the top. Braden Willis is gone. The yep. Wildcat quarterback position is that's open true. in Norman, and why not throw a guy that once again played some high school quarterback in there as opposed to trusting your backups? Yeah, the, as far as that goes, Absolutely need bodies. I have no idea what he could be at all. But as you saw, um, 
Oklahoma is very reliant on Austin Stogner to be healthy for 12 regular season games, which is just, it's a question. And you don't know what you have behind him, truthfully, because Caden Helms, Jason Well, they didn't get to get on the field a ton last year. And this spring would have been huge for that development. You'd imagine that Stogner would have taken a lot more mental reps, probably, just as far as get you up to speed on that, keep you physically fresh, and let the young guys kind of develop, and that they're both injured, right? So need, need that depth. And the important thing, I think, too, is that it's a lot of, Older guys that aren't going to clog up future recruiting pipelines in the tight end room as well, so that you can kind of have a little bit of both. Get your depth this year, but also not totally wreck your plans in the future. Is now we we've seen across the country teams are having to work for the first time uh, in a year or two to get back under or at scholarship limits. For what it's worth, both uh, Blake Smith and Josh Fanuel caught touchdowns in the spring yeah. game, which is kind of kind of funny. But yeah, what a weird group. It's, it's guys who played other sports and changed positions and transferred and transferred back. It's just like they all have a – you could do a feature on any one of these guys, it seems like. They're all – it's an interesting group. And it, like you said, Ryan, it really is – you know, at the time it seemed like a big deal. But as we get further away from it, it seems like an even like, man, it really is not good that Caden Helms and Jason Welland both missed all of spring. They both really could have used that. Um you probably feeling a lot different about things if both guys had a full spring and, you know, Caden Helms was catching passes in the spring game. And it's like, okay, he's a number two option for sure. Like, you know, that that's not great. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, positions of need. And they, they, they added guys. So we'll see what else they do in this uh, portal cycle. And we'll talk about that next. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about what other needs Oklahoma has in the portal, if anything. What do they need to do before this uh, cycle closes for next season? I'll talk about the two commits they've got uh, in the last week, Isaiah Autry and Jaden Hardy. So I'll wrap that up next right here on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, it's John Hoover from my friends at Trade Pros. Spring's right around the corner, and you're going to need to make sure your air conditioning system is running right. So right now, through the end of March, Trade Pros is offering a $25 spring tune-up. Now that's a $100 value, but this month only, $25. Bucks. The spring tune-up is a comprehensive preventive maintenance check. They're going to do a full system diagnostic. They're going to check your Freon levels. They're going to make sure that your amperage on your system is where it's supposed to be. Heating and air systems can be complicated, and you want to know that your electronics are running at peak efficiency as the weather gets warmer. So just call Michael at TradePros, 405-593-1585, or go to TradeProsOKC.com. I think it's time to call On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners, who's at Johnny Hoover. I did that order. Ryan's at underscore Ryan Chapman. I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We're a fan nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All right, segment two. Teased a little bit for the break there. Um, but so they add a receiver, they add a tight end. Where do we think Oklahoma stands with the portal? What else do they need to do, if anything? Do they need more receivers, more tight ends? other positions what what stands out i guess in in your guys mind what oklahoma should try to accomplish in the portal here we don't know who's going to leave yet if if anyone so we obviously don't know that aspect of it but what's your guys um status on the on the portal watch here for oklahoma moving forward okay dream scenario is that some um defensive lineman that oklahoma had a previous recruiting relationship with unexpectedly jumps in the portal or expectedly um, that, the, you know, you may be running into a little bit of a scholarship limit uh, situation with Oklahoma. You know, you're, you're kind of filled up at one end. You can't add anything to that unless you lose. Um, it's April 26th. As we record this, the portal is going to be open for four more days, closes on the 30th. So does that mean you need somebody from Oklahoma to leave? Not necessarily. I think you can you can fit in a couple guys. I hear there's some openings, or there the market, shall we say, has recently been flooded with developments out in Colorado. So there's talent <laughs> yeah. out there. There's players out there. Division one talent, um, guys that went what one and eleven last year, I guess. But uh, the, there's some possibilities. But it's it's kind of a seller's market right now that for for a school that like Oklahoma that might need one or two positions. There's just not a ton out there right now. Again, 
portal's open for four more days. Maybe something develops. Uh, maybe there's some uh, tampering type situations that go on where somebody is comfortable and then they get a phone call and they realize they could be happier somewhere else. That might be a situation where the portal, that that could be the ugly side of the portal right there. And I, frankly, I think we've seen that from, uh, from certain schools that don't mind tampering in the portal. Um, I don't think you're going to find Oklahoma do that very often, but I don't know. Um, we'll see. You'd like to see a wide receiver maybe jump in there. Uh, and uh, there's Jordan Hudson from TCU still on the market. Last I checked, I don't know how he fits culturally, culturally with Brent Venables in Oklahoma, but maybe he fits well. He was on Oklahoma was on his list of finalists when he signed with TCU. So maybe that's something like that could develop. There's a, there's a million endless possibilities. Yeah, former Oklahoma commit, not not just on his uh, list of finalists, but a guy that was committed to the Sooners Hudson, right. before decommitting. Yeah, when you look at look at it, I mean the the things that scream out as far as they're just looking for wide receivers to emerge. I already got one of those. The tight end depth thing, getting one body. I, I don't think that's like a you need seven guys in the tight end room. Kind of what we talked about earlier. And then to your point, who elsewhere, like Oklahoma did their work in the portal, really, as far as taking your swings at impact guys. We talked a ton about a lot of those impact players defensively in our spring game, post game, kind of getting to see some of that. And so it would take a really, really specific situation, it feels like, to get an impact lineman on either side of the ball at this point or things like that. Brentman was talked about again being juiced about Lewis Carter coming on in. So that's linebacker that, that he's excited for a true freshman. Sure. But it doesn't feel like there's a lot of obvious, like, Hey, you need, need, need this through this window of the portal, just because a lot of the marquee guys would have already gotten that early jump in that winter window. So you could go through spring. So it feels like if anyone else is added, it'll just be, hey, you needed some depth on the on the edges of, of the roster count as opposed to like adding someone in this late window that is going to feature prominently and be a key piece of Oklahoma wins uh, come next fall. And I had forgot that Jordan Hudson actually decommitted from Lincoln Riley. I thought he decommitted from Brent Venables. Totally, totally forgot that. Time is, is it's hard to remember all those, all those things. Um, <laughs> Offensive line depth wouldn't be bad. You know, I like like Ryan's saying, you're not going to probably grasp when he's going to start for you. But uh, we saw on Saturday at the spring game that the second line, and there's some injuries right now playing a part in that, but the second line of offensive uh, line was, eh. And uh, maybe somebody who could also snap the ball and play center wouldn't be awful. Because after Andrew Rame, I don't really know what the options are there. Because Jack Arnold was scooping balls like he was a first baseman. He was picking it everywhere on uh, on Saturday. So, um, that wouldn't be awful. Again, you're not going to get anybody who's going to start, but just at least another viable option if you need them uh, wouldn't be bad. And then, uh, yeah, like who said, I mean, I'm not going to say no to more receivers or tight ends if, if you can, because those those are the question marks right now, uh, especially tight end. So I don't, again, the, the options are pretty limited as we move into May here coming up, but if you can, wouldn't be bad. So we'll see what they do. And uh, like uh, Ryan kind of, referenced they are going to add some guys with the uh the non-early enrollee guys I mean, those will be true freshmen but there will be some more guys coming in uh here very very soon as well so we'll keep an eye on it we'll see uh what they do and if oklahoma has guys you'll know about it on allcenters.com all right elsewhere got a couple commits uh since the last show we talked on about them really briefly in the spring game podcast but we'll dive into them more so now we'll go in chronological order so first up, Isaiah Autry, offensive tackle, three-star from 247, four-star from Rivals, which depends on where you look, uh, 6'6", 280 out of Fulton, Mississippi. Obviously, if you read our story, or you probably know by now, the big uh, kind of storyline there is he's the cousin of Marcus Dupree, which is pretty cool. And so he comes aboard to Oklahoma. What do we make of uh, Mr. Autry? Looking at his tape a little bit and seeing what he could maybe be down the road. Yeah, when I talked to Isaiah uh, the morning of his commitment, um, he he basically could not have been more excited. Um, mm. When you when you your your cousin is Marcus Dupree, okay, not just some guy who played at Oklahoma, but Marcus freaking Dupree. There might be some hesitation on your part 
as an athlete to say, yeah, I want to follow in that, those footsteps. I want to follow behind that legacy. That's a big shadow that Marcus Dupree cast at Oklahoma in literally guys a year and a half. He was here. So, um, to be his cousin and to run to Oklahoma and embrace Oklahoma. Once he got that OU offer, he was in, he was all in. Um, it's, it's really some, a place that he is look forward to being good enough to play at. And here's the deal. He is one of those recruits that you get the sense. I'm not going to sit here and say I've graded his tape or anything like that, or the pro scouts tell me anything like that, but you get the sense that he is criminally underrated as a three-star prospect out of Mississippi. Right. When does, does Nick Saban recruit a lot of three-star offensive linemen? You know, if Nick Saban wants you, it's probably because you're not a three-star offensive lineman. I'm just saying, uh, expect his uh, ratings now that Oklahoma has uh, has gotten his commitment. Expect his ratings to go up. He's a, uh, a a great kid, comes from a great family. His mom played college basketball for Pat Summit at Tennessee, won two national championships. Um, he's got uncles that played in the NFL, you know, that are, that are beyond Marcus Dupree, right? Um, I'm just saying he comes from the background. He has um, got the Sooner kind of bred um legacy behind him where he's just like he couldn't wait to get here and now that he's met brent venables and bill biedenboe who's put gonna put two or three possibly more guys in the nfl this year um he's he can't wait to get here and get developed by biedenboe yeah he's got that family culture around him that he knows what it's like to this is what you have to do to work to continue to get better regardless of what your talent is which makes you feel like he's gonna be someone that that is going to embrace everything that Bill Beanbo is as an offensive line coach, which is like your physical skills. Great. Duh. Everyone who comes to Oklahoma has those, but yeah, I mean, he's an imposing figure. When, when you look at him, he's got the size that you want. He's got that athleticism that you want. And I think it's just a little bit of refinement and it, he's coming to the perfect situation with Bill Beanbo to, to get that out of him. So uh, a really, really fun story, but a, a good offensive line pickup when you kind of dive into what it looks like he, he's been able to do there so far throughout his high school career in Mississippi. Following up Autry on the uh, day of the spring game, it was like 1 o'clock, I think, ahead of the 2.30 spring game. Jaden Hardy committed to Oklahoma. He is a four-star safety out of Louisville, Texas. 5'11", 170 is his measurement on 24-7 sports. I like him. I, I, I mean, I watched his tape a little bit, and again, you know, not going to pretend to have watched just his whole career or something, but watching his tape a little bit, really athletic, can fly around the field. One of those guys, I say this all the time, it seems like with these Venables recruits, did it all in high school. He would play offense. They would let him do wildcat quarterback and just take off. He returned kicks. I mean, he's one of those types of guys, kind of Peyton Bowen-ish uh, in that regard. Um, really athletic, lot to like here uh, with Jaden Hardy. Very impressive uh, offer list, including Alabama uh, is in there as well. Good get, it seems like. And Brandon Hall continuing to be a hoss on the recruiting trail here. Another good get for him. Yeah, look at his offer list. Uh, Alabama, Arkansas, Baylor in the Big 12, obviously. Florida, a lot of SEC schools. Uh, LSU, Michigan State, Miami, Mississippi State, Missouri. You know, you can list right down the list. Um, Oregon wants him. Penn State wants him. TCU wants him. Tennessee wants him. Texas wants him. USC, Wisconsin all these different programs from all over the country with that play different styles of defense. This is a guy that uh, they all want. He, he was a priority. Um, he was a priority recruit for, for every one of those schools. So uh, for him to choose Oklahoma, uh, Brandon Hall and Jay Valai as well was in on his recruiting um, remarkable job. Cause he's a guy that uh, like I said, a lot of people wanted, he's got a broad skill set explosive when you watch his video, very explosive, quick to the football, reacts to the football, sees things well. Um, you want, ideally, to be able to go in the, into the SEC and do battle, right? You want guys that are in that six-foot, six-one range, six-two maybe. He's right at 5'11". Maybe he'll grow a little bit more, but um, he's playing right now at 5'11", 170. Four-star guy. Uh, everybody wanted him. This is a good get for Oklahoma. Absolutely, and it was a couple of months ago, I don't remember, when you're kind of sifting through, doing some of the background stuff again to double check, you're putting it together. He had given an interview to On3 where he had talked about like his dad played at Tennessee, 
And he's like, yeah, I will be playing in the SEC. Like that, that is something that I want out of my college experience to play in the SEC. And so that's just one of those scenarios that that is a very, very common line from guys that come out of the Southeast as far as where they grew up. And that meant that that was an uphill battle. Oklahoma already had to fight before they even had to have discussions about how bad the defense had been and all that stuff in the past. Now that's not a barrier at all that when Brandon Hall talks about, he's like sick, we're in the sec. Okay. What's next? What else do you like? And you want to play for a great defensive mind? Here's a Brent Venable. So I think that's one of those that this is just an illustration that one of the first classes that when a recruit gives that kind of statement, you can say, okay, Oklahoma and Texas, boom, you're in, you're in for this guy. Have that. You're one of the 16 schools that really feels like has a, a chance to mix it up. And then on top of that, you mentioned that, does everything, and, and this is so true with it. it, feels like the highlight tapes of all these Venables commits that we've seen over the past you know year that you've put together, Josh, is just a, regardless of what their stature is, he does not play like a 5'11 defensive back, and he, he's willing to do whatever, does not shy away from the contact, happy to put his face mask into somebody. Yeah. And I, I think you saw that kind of mentality bear out for the young pups at the spring game on Saturday, and I think that's good news for Oklahoma fans and to commit like Hardy, because those guys look different than any anybody that's roamed around in the secondary over the last, gosh, six to ten years. So Autry and Hardy um, give OU five commits now in the 24th class, and Hardy is actually the highest rated uh, of the group as of right now. They're ranked 28th in the recruiting in the, the 2024 class rankings. Obviously. They have five guys. They're going to add a million more, so the ranking means very little to nothing at the moment. But to recap, so you got K.J. Daniels, who we talked about last week. He is a three-star receiver now. Remember, he was not rated when we talked about him last week. They've since given him uh, a three-star rating. Autry, of course, Michael Hawkins, Jaden Hardy, and Jeremiah Newcomb, who was the first one, the cornerback uh, from Queen Creek, Arizona. So you have five guys. Um, you have, let's see, that would be two on – or three on offense, two on defense. What do we think about the early part of this this class? How it's coming together early? Obviously, no five stars yet. Obviously, it's a little early for these guys to be. Some of these guys could become five stars, I guess theoretically. Um, but what do we think of the class right now? I guess just how it stands up. Only five commits, but do you feel that they're off to a good start? Just a, a little temperature check, I guess, on the twenty four class here. Yeah, there was a little concern a couple of weeks ago uh, when they had two guys in the span of 11, no, nine days. In the span of nine days, they picked up three commits. Uh, Mm -hmm. The the ranking, I think, was 57 or 58 before K.J. Daniels committed. So uh, the rankings are picking up. The rankings are what they are. Like you said, there's a long way to go. That's not going to matter. But when you're in the 50s and you've only got two guys committed, and then you've you've got you're in the 20s, they're 28 now, and they they've only got five guys committed. I think that's obviously a trend up. They've taken care of some uh, defensive back uh, needs. They've taken care of an offensive. They started on the offensive line. Uh, they got their quarterback, obviously, in uh, Mike Hawkins, and then you know you start supplementing that with uh, with um, transfer portal guys like we're seeing with uh, with uh, Brennan Thompson. Um, which is going to really impact what the 24 class looks like for sure. Uh, I think yeah. that's 23 class even. Um, but it, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be, we're in the early stages of this thing where Oklahoma is going to make its most money, so to speak, let's use air quotes there, where they're going to make the most hay is in the next probably three months. Uh, when they start landing, there's I think there's four guys in the top. And if you look at depending on who you look at on three or twenty four seven, there's four guys that are in the top fifty right now. And Oklahoma seems to be in the lead, uh, strongly in the lead for all four of them. Um, so uh, among other schools, but the, you know Oklahoma's their leader. So when yeah. you start getting guys like that, then you start talking about another top five class, and that's where you start having your successes when you start stacking those top fives. Yeah, you've got to stack those classes. I feel like we may have to do this every year as long as the Sprint Rebel staff here is. But remember, with the visit rule, and now recruits can take as many visits as they want. So it's not just lining out the five visits. With their visit rule, 
the bulk of the class is going to come together later than other people around the country. And just remember, if you're worried about the recruiting, just remember last year's end of June through July stretch where Oklahoma made their huge move. That's probably where that's going to happen again. And just look at it. In recruiting, quarterbacks come off the board early. Why? Because there's only one quarterback that plays on the field. Oklahoma's got their quarterback. What's going to be the big upside swing? What is going to be the reason why Oklahoma finishes either in the top five if they hit a bunch of guys or if they finish about 10 or whatever is what they do recruiting the defensive line and the offensive line. Those guys wait a little bit longer because you've got three to four spots on the defensive line, depending on where you go, five spots on the offensive line. Like It's going to be okay. They're still in a great spot. Mm -hmm. Don't forget – where OU is going to make their hey, this class is the defensive line that could go late, late, late into the season because that's just how defensive linemen are. They, they're a little bit more versatile, a little bit more able to move around, and those guys tend to commit later. Remember how late we were doing the the Vasic commitment, then the Vasic flip, all that stuff uh, went all the way, all the way down to the wire last year. Hicks as well. Um, so yeah, you're looking at David Stone. You're looking at uh, Will Will Nawari. Uh Those are two guys that are top. They're both top ten guys. Overall in the country, if you they're they're leading Oklahoma's supposedly reportedly leading for both of them. If OU signs both of those guys, uh, that takes care of both of your um, defense. Takes care of all of your defensive line uh, worries for the next couple of years. I think if you're able to sign both those guys, and then at wide receiver, Bryant Westco and Zion Kearney are both guys who are really heavily leaning. We're told. Uh, toward mm-hmm. Oklahoma, they're both wide receivers. They're both four star, five four star, five star type talent. Um, you you get both of those guys, that takes care of two positions for at least two years in the recruiting cycle. And as discussed, if uh, if Gerald McCoy has anything to say about it, David Stone <laughs> will be will be a Sooner. He's made it his lifelong goal to get <laughs> David Stone to be a Sooner. So uh, yeah, lots of big fish obviously out there. So very early um, in Oklahoma. Like like Ryan said, last year, right around that right around that week around media days, like the few days before, a few days after, it just seemed like they were getting one or two guys a day. It was crazy at that time last year. I don't know if it'll be like that every year, but just a reminder that obviously that was midsummer whenever it popped off last time. We're still a ways uh, away from that. So uh gonna be fun to keep up with it though throughout the summer and all sooners will have you covered on that. All right, we're gonna take a time out here. We'll come back, hit some other sports. Basketball is finally starting to add some guys in the poll rather than just lose. They've added two since the last show. Uh we'll talk about those guys as well as the fact that every guy who left has a new team. We'll kind of react to that. One blew my mind yesterday. And then uh, we'll wrap up the weekends for softball and baseball as well on the way out. Next, right here, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Hit some other sports here and send you on your way into your final weekend of April already. We're moving right through. All right. um, Basketball transfers. So they added a couple more guys. We talked about it really briefly last week. Uh, they added JV McCollum uh, from Siena. Um, but, you know, not to disrespect Siena or JV McCollum, but we said at the time, another guy from a G5, like, I know that's more of a football term, but how is that going to translate to the Big 12? We've seen that not work a couple of times. Since then, Oklahoma has added not one, but two guys that were starters at the Power 5 levels. That's, that's at least... A good start right there. They had John Hughley, the fourth. Let me sure you get the fourth in there from Pittsburgh. He's a big man. He'll be, you know, uh, obviously crashing the boards and stuff for you. And then Rivaldo Suarez is a taller guard. He's 6'6 from Oregon. Um, and he they, he also is a starter for them. He started 33 games for them last year for the Ducks. So, hey, I mean, 
it's a start. At least they're adding power five level talent here, which was a, been a big criticism, I think, for us, uh, you know, these yep. last couple of cycles. And they, they did scratch an itch on both cases. John Hughley can rebound. Oklahoma stunk, stunk on the boards last year. And John Hughley, he cut, he didn't play a whole lot last year, but the year before in 21, 22, he was fourth in the ACC in rebounding. Fourth. That's pretty good. And Rivaldo Suarez, you know, you need another guard option probably. Obviously, you add McCollum, you have Uzayim back, but that's kind of it. So adding him to the fold is nice. So what do we, what do we make of these two gets, though? Uh, Hughley and uh, Suarez here for Oklahoma as they try to piece it together again. My guess is Suarez will go out for the football team and will be the piece that they need on the wide receiver core. He's going to be one-on-one. On one. No, maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, he's uh, they'll do. Listen, when you can upgrade your talent from other schools, Power 5, other Power 5 schools, uh, transfers, you know, if you're Oklahoma, you've missed the tournament the last couple of years because you just haven't had talent on the roster. Finishing talent, um, you know, Big 12 competition type talent. You're talking about the the best basketball league in the, in America, and you're going at it with guys who are now in the group of five schools, uh, mid-majors, as they call it in basketball. This is, this, you know, it's it's all, it's the last card, in my opinion, that, that, um, Porter Moser has to play. It's the last card in his hand that he has to play. And that's get as many other power five schools, uh, transfers as he possibly can, because mm -hmm. what he was trying to do, what he got, what he had gotten previously was not working. Well, and, and it does two things here that I will, I have sworn I will not complain about. If you, listen, if you ever listen to my radio show with Chisholm, uh, we always say, you go and you get a center, whether he's 18 years old, 25 years old, if he came from Pitt, or if he was uh, from a D3. But if you get a guy with size that can rebound, will not be a complaint. Not only did they do that, they got a guy that has rebounded a really high level, like you mentioned, Josh. And not just that, that a couple of years ago when he was playing, he led Pitt in both rebounds and scoring. So he was a guy that was actually like a post yeah. presence down there too. 14, uh, just a hair over 14 points per game on that front. So it, stay healthy and locked in. And, and he can be a guy that it's not just a body at center, but a guy that has been an impact center in the ACC. So that's huge. With Soares, uh, not, not a huge score, but that wasn't really his role just from what I kind of gather at Oregon. A guy that fills another void we've been talking about, which is the front line for Porter Moser has been so unathletic. Soares is not that guy. He, he's he got that length. He can be in passing lanes, can help you rebound, moves the ball around in the offense. He, he didn't just, and it's not like he's like taking 10 shots a game and not able to score. He, he wasn't a high volume guy. So he, even if he doesn't come in and give you something like that, I, I liken that to. Not the exact same, but if you remember the kind of profile that Elijah Harkless had of not taking a ton of shots initially, but a, a really athletic police that could help you uh, in ways, Not again, not exactly the same, but think more of the profile, that kind of role. Yeah. Uh, that gives uh, McCollum spots to, to shoot. It gives plenty of opportunity for Milos Uzon to continue to develop and shoot more, uh, for Ortega Owe, all of that, so... Uh, two pretty pretty decent additions here for for Porter Moser crew. I thought uh, of these last two. McCollum, by the way, coming out of high school, had a higher ranking according to twenty four seven Sports. Had a higher overall percentage player ranking than anybody else on this roster, or anybody I should say, any of these newcomers that are coming in. Uh, higher than yeah. Jalen Hill, higher than uh, Cortez, higher than any of them. So, um, yeah, you're supplementing. Right, you're supplementing talent. You're 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 losing some guys. You're graduating some uh, one guy. You're bringing in a certain number of guys who can fill that role, kind of square pegs and square holes. Right, you get the right player to do the right job. He's one of those players yeah. that's got a lot of skills. Uh, McCollum is so um, maybe he'll fit in with these other transfers. The the hard part, as we've said for the last two years, is taking all these transfers, losing a bunch of transfers, and then replacing them with a bunch of transfers does nothing for what Porter Moser has called a million times the the culture and foundation of the program. Yeah, you're just hoping that, you know, with somebody like Hughley, those rebounding numbers, the fact that he did it in the ACC, it'll it'll translate cuz that, you know, that look at these last two cycles, the Groves Bros Eastern Washington. I mean, other than Jordan Goldwire came from Duke, but the Groves Bros Eastern Washington. Obviously last year, Sherfield from Nevada, 
famous heel from George Washington. Marvin Johnson came from what? It was like Eastern Illinois. Like they all come from, or they've all largely come from, you know, Sam Godwin, Walford, you know, right. mid major, small programs. Shagwalk outside of the Duke SMU, edition of Goldwire, Shagwa coming from SMU was like a a big big uh, big time addition. Yeah, so getting some and, and these are good solid programs. Programs you've seen the tournament. Pittsburgh was in the tournament just last year. You know, I mean, teams that you know, good solid programs at major pro, uh, conferences. Hope for the best. Yeah, try something a little different. So credit to him for at least uh, going that route. Like who said, kind of playing a, a different card here at least. So. Uh, to tie up basketball real quick, too. All the guys who left had their new team. One of these is unlike the others. Po- po- sh- sh- stop me when you get to that point. Benny Schroeder went to George Washington. Joe Bamiso went to VCU. Bijan Cortez went to Wichita State. CJ Lowe went to St. Louis. Jalen Hill goes to UNLV. And then Jacob Groves goes to Virginia. What on earth? Where did that come from? I mean, it felt like Jalen Hill was the only one who had a shot to end up at a Power 5, and he did not. He went to UNLV, which is a little, you know, that's where he's from. Kevin Kruger's there. So he maybe could have went to a Power 5. I'm, pro- I'm pretty sure he probably could have if he wanted, but he decided to go to UNLV. But Jacob grows to Virginia. Where did that come from? Jacob grows to Virginia doesn't. It's stunning. that There's, there's certain programs that don't, fit certain guys. And I'm not saying it's not a fit. I'm no, don't take this the wrong way, but when you project what Jacob Groves does versus what Virginia does, Virginia excels at playing that really stingy kind of defense that, you know, Tony Bennett is known for, right? Uh, sometimes it does them well in the NCAA tournament. Sometimes it does them not so well in the NCAA tournament. So yeah. uh, well, I don't know what Jacob, how Jacob, and his body of work at Eastern Washington and Oklahoma is a is a take for for Virginia. Uh, it's it's very you're right, Josh. It's very confusing. Uh, I'm going to be like Brady Manic to North Carolina. I'm going to be very tuned in to see how this one works out. On the bright side, uh, if you're projecting systems, uh, it's a coach that targets not very athletic dudes that play defense and shoot the three. So that's a similar setup to what. Porter Moser is done at Oklahoma. The difference is that Jacob Groves was not a impact player for Porter Moser at Oklahoma. So the better version of that, it's suddenly going to work out. Interesting. I'm just interested in the, the Jacob Groves starts in Spokane where he's from makes the move over to Norman. So he gets a little bit of, Hey, here's what that middle of the country feels like. Now I'm going to head over to Virginia. I want to explore the East coast a little bit before I settle in. I respect someone who has made some tactical decisions to try to live in some different places. I dig that a lot. Yeah, three. Yeah, you're right. Three different places, uh, big time, uh, for sure. Um, yeah, that floored me yesterday because he was the one waiting out there. And so that was the last piece of like, okay, officially none of Oklahoma's transfers went to a, a Power 5. And then uh, what did he do? Not only did he go to a Power 5, he went to one of the very best programs in the country. And uh, obviously, let alone the ACC, they were co-champs last year. Uh, wild, wild stuff. And Jalen Hill, like we said, goes to UNLV. That's where he's from. Vegas. Kevin Kruger there. You can kind of, you can kind of stomach it a little bit for Oklahoma. It still really hurts to lose him, but I mean that's as soft as a landing spot as possible. At least he's not in the Big Twelve because that would yeah. be rough. I was going to uh, say he he drew a ton of Big Twelve interest, and so if you're an Oklahoma fan, you just sit there. He didn't go to another Big Twelve school. Thank you, Kevin Kruger, for, for yeah. taking him out. Yeah. Is Elijah Harkless still there? I think you're muted, dude. Oh, sorry. So, uh, th- uh, I think he graduated. Okay. I was wondering if Hill and Harkless were united, but I can't. Elijah Harkless played a lot of college basketball, but the COVID, it's like guys can just play forever. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. COVID, um, COVID plus transfers yeah. becomes just uh, trying to figure out a disaster. Right, right. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know. You, you look at what they have right now, the framework of it, Uzan and Owa back, Godwin back, these three guys plus the two freshmen. There's no reason for them to think that they'll be any – there's no reason really right now to think that they'll be worse. You're just kind of hoping – but they have to get a lot better. Obviously, the, the same is, is not good. They were last. So we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Uh, more more to be done there uh, in the portal for Oklahoma. Um Shifting over to softball, 
They swept Baylor in Waco. Revenge gotten um, after losing to Baylor earlier in the year. Um, Baylor inexplicably one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. Uh, popping off before the series. Just so stupid. I can't even believe it. Um, it's one of those things that's just the only thing, the only thing that ever bites OU softball is if they overlook somebody or they're not motivated, they come out a little flat. And Baylor basically just guaranteed that that would not happen. Um, dummies. Total dummies. So they got slapped. What, what was the quote? Do you remember? Well, they so, said they were intimidated by them. Yeah. I remember that. Intimidated. That's it. Crazy. Yep. It was two-pronged. There was the intimidation quote, which was just pure lunacy. Uh, and then there was like a – it sounded like the TV reporter directly was asking everyone, like, who is the pressure on in this game? And he used the answers that said the pressure's on Oklahoma. So I think that Baylor may have uh, may have been set up on that front. But, yeah, the intimidation, like they're intimidated, yeah. was just acid. Like, that was like the nail – like I was willing to be like maybe a little bit of benefit of the doubt, like an actual like out of context. I was like, no, the intimidation thing was just it idiocy. <laughs> yeah. Like the army is lining up at the at the gate, right? They're lining up at the road, and they're going to go. Yeah, you know, I think Godzilla is pretty intimidated this time. <laughs> yeah. So Godzilla is coming in to stomp your city. Thank you very much. Well, they swapped them. Um, yeah. yeah, they do, do. and uh, you know, obviously, Ryan, this is your account, but uh, obviously, the big the big thing is the fact that OSU got swept by Texas, right? So, I mean, the Big Twelve is just right there; it's just sitting on a platter for them now. Yeah, it's uh, the first off, Oklahoma fans came in and like took over the stadium, basically. So that made the intimidation thing even more laughable. That it was basically like a fifty fifty game, but yeah, OSU can't hit the ball right now, and. The messaging out of Stillwater, I have no confidence in. Kenny Gajewski yesterday basically said the two words they're talking about in the locker room are don't panic, which is not <laughs> not a good place to be. As Oklahoma State has dropped two games to Wichita State, they dropped one of three to Iowa State, and then they got swept by Texas. So yeah, Josh, like you're saying, OSU now has four conference losses. Texas has four conference losses. Oklahoma, if they just sweep Kansas this weekend – they will wrap up their 11th straight Big 12 regular season championship. They don't even have to do any damage in Stillwater, which is just interesting because we're, we're so conditioned to Patty Gasso. She always says that the Big 12 runs through Stillwater because you have, you have to beat OSU to win it. She said this year for us, the Big 12 runs through Waco and Stillwater. At the time it was true, it's simply not anymore. Now that Oklahoma took care of business, another shutout sweep, by the way, Um the, the the Sooners can just wrap it up against Kansas. And, and then from there, it becomes a quest for national championship third in a row, right? Yeah. But B, now that these midweek games against Wichita State and against Tulsa have been canceled, if we would like to get ahead of ourselves, which I'm happy to do, if you start counting up three wins against Kansas, three wins against Oklahoma State, two wins in the Big 12 tournament. If Oklahoma keeps this win streak rolling, game one of the Women's College World Series, the opening day, that would be the 48th game on Oklahoma's schedule to set college softball's new win streak if they keep winning. If they roll through the Big 12 tournament, regionals and supers, which the last last year they lost to OSU, but they have been very good at rolling through Big 12 regionals and supers without dropping a game. Game one of the WCWS could be for another record on top of their chase for a national championship. Yeah, and you're right, Ryan, and they couldn't care less, right, about the record or setting setting another record. The only thing that they're looking at, if you talk to the team, if you talk to the coaches, they tell you the only thing that they want to do is get better. They want to get better this week than they were last week. Mm. Long term, the goal, obviously, is to run the table and win the national championship. That's what the standard has become at Oklahoma. They're King Kong. They're, they're Godzilla in the, in the game of softball. Uh, they're going to do this. The only thing, and I've been thinking about this, and you know I am the ultimate naysayer and, and stuff like that. The only thing that could disrupt what's going on right now, what we're seeing right now, the magic that this team is putting together, is injuries to the pitching staff. Uh I, and I hate to say it, but we just saw it last year where their most uh, impressive pitcher comes in and all of a sudden she has to be taken off the shelf, or, or I should say put on the shelf, taken out of the rotation, put on the shelf for a couple of weeks. Jordy Ball had that uh, forearm situation. So I, 
you know, we're all hoping that that all got our fingers crossed that that doesn't happen again this year. Uh, if they go into the postseason with three healthy pitchers, guys, it is over. Yeah, and that, that's kind of what um, I wrote that column on Monday, which is at all suitors if you missed it, just because OSU is faltering. OU is actually ahead of schedule in the Big 12, right? They don't have to beat OSU once to win the thing in the regular seasons. They're ahead of schedule there. I was looking nationally. There are two teams surging right now. One of them's UCLA. Oklahoma already curb stomped UCLA. One of them's Florida State. That was a really close game in Norman, but OU's playing better now than they were when they played either of those two teams. So them surging, I think, is kind of nullified. OU is intimately familiar with UCLA's pitching staff. They've played them a bunch over the last couple of years. They've now seen every pitcher of Florida State would want to throw at them because Florida State inadvertently showed them every pitcher by kind of using that rotation. So it just feels like, again, you're looking for the James Madison comes out and upsets them, and then it's just praying, dear God, can someone else beat this Oklahoma team so we don't have to see them again? Because no one's beating this team twice. Are they, uh, Are they with the Wichita State game uh, canceled, are they in Oklahoma the rest of the season? Have we hit that point? Yeah, we officially have because this this weekend, Kansas is the last home series. You head to Stillwater, then it's OKC, Norman, Norman, OKC. Yeah, we're over a month from the end of the season, and they don't leave Oklahoma again. Pretty, pretty <laughs> ridiculous every every year. It's Alabama football all over again. Blows your mind every time. Um, all right, wrapping up here with uh, some baseball. What a weekend! I mean, just out of nowhere, uh, swept Texas in Austin. First time they've ever, ever, ever. swept Texas in Austin. Crazy. Ever. Uh, first time they swept Texas since '98. Period. Um, but ever um, in uh, in Austin, which is pretty nuts. Look, I don't know. I don't know if this is the the takeoff point, but it was a really good weekend. They pitched. We've been saying the whole time they can score runs. They can man. They got speed. They can play defense. They can hit. But could they pitch well enough to actually beat good teams? And they they pitched. I mean, Braxton Douthit was great again. James Hit was great again. Carter Campbell was a machine out of the bullpen. He won pitcher of the week as a reliever, which is hard to do uh, in the Big Twelve. That is what a weekend. I mean. Uh, you can't say enough about going into Austin and sweeping a top 15 Texas team. All of a sudden, they're only a game below 500 in Big 12 play. They're three over 500. They're in the top 15 RPI. Like, all of a sudden, they're they're in the mix again. Like, like really, one weekend has changed the whole complexion of the season. Now, you have to, like, build on it. But, boy. And the schedule, it lightens up a little bit. They got Kansas this weekend in Norman. You need at least two. Probably yes. should sweep it. That's not and, the best uh, thing for this team, Josh. They need to play Texas sure. every weekend. Uh, apparently. Um, so you got Kansas weekend. You have West Virginia, who's been the biggest surprise in the Big 12. You got to put them in Morgantown. They're they're good, West Virginia now. They're a top 20 team. You got to put them in Morgantown, but then you play Gonzaga, and you have Bedlam at home. So you saw some big series floating out there, but I they, they have firmly put themselves back on the bubble. They're back in the conversation. They are to make the tournament, which is nuts, considering where they were a week or two ago. What a what a monumental weekend! I mean, anything short of what they did, they still wouldn't be in great shape. But they they did. They went in there and swept it. Unbelievable. Yeah, uh, my son is twenty two years old. They have never swept Texas in his lifetime. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a young man anymore, but I was slightly older than both of you guys when I jumped on the uh, Tulsa World College baseball beat and have stu- have covered a lot of baseball over the years. Never swept Texas in all the years that I did college baseball. Unbelievable. What an unbelievable accomplishment. And then when I looked, it's the first time they've done it in Austin ever in history in a hundred something years. It's unbelievable. It's it's huge. And now they just gotta capture that momentum and roll with it, right? And that's what they were so good at doing last year is once once that spark yeah. was kind of lit, uh OU stayed on fire all the way through the World Series. Yeah, it's too bad that they didn't get to play the Tuesday night game against Oral Roberts at home to kind of try and keep it going. Um, but we'll see what happens this weekend with Kansas in town. And uh, like I said, big series coming up. And uh, we'll see if we'll see if that's the spot where they take off and do like they did last year. But uh, what a weekend. Unbelievable stuff uh, for that team. Uh, all right, anything else? Any last things? Other sports have kind of slowed down. Gymnastics, obviously, in the rear view and things like that. Yeah, well, men's golf's going for a Big Twelve national, uh, Big Twelve championship today. Yeah, I'm assuming they don't get rained out. Men's golf trying to do that. The women's tennis team that they just 
can't do it head to head against Texas in the postseason right now. Um, they lost the national championship at the end of last year to Texas. They lost the Big 12 championship this weekend to Texas. But that's a group that I, I wonder if they found something a little bit because they've been excellent at home and on the road is where they haven't been able to match their stuff from last year. That's why they're kind of floating in the teens around there. So uh, maybe they found the right little formula to, to try and go on a tear as NCAAs are coming up for the women's tennis team. We are uh, spring sports mode now uh, with spring football. Obviously finished up. It's uh, it's 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 been spring sports season, obviously, but especially now is really fun time of year. I really like when the postseason start for baseball and softball, and you get all the golf and all. It's a it really is an underrated, really good time on the sports calendar. So excited about the next month or so. All right, I think that's it for us. We'll be back next week, uh, wrapping up the weekends for baseball and softball. Of course, all the latest in football, transfer portal recruiting, whatever else comes along. In the next week, we'll have it for you next week, as well as uh, basketball news, all that good stuff. You know, you know the drill by now. We'll be back next Wednesday. You can catch that show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. You can also watch all the shows on News YouTube page as well, John Hoover Media. That's it. We'll be back next Wednesday. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll see you guys next time.